I asked Kyle to sing that song um, for three different reasons in terms of coming into the message I want to share with you t- today. Three things. One of the first of all is that it makes much of Jesus. Um, I almost feel like, okay, you just sang the message, so let's go home. Because um, it's so powerful. Just to remember Jesus is Lord of all. It makes much of him. Secondly, there's the name of the song is Jesus is Better. Um, and that's, that's stuck right here in that bridge, in that bridge section. What happens is that there's the, the writer makes several statements about things of this world, things in life here. And it says, Jesus is better. And then, I, I, I didn't catch this probably the first several times that I sang this song. Um, but I caught it last week when we did it as part of the service for the, in the evening last week. Um, we had a time of prayer um, and fasting. And every time Jesus is better, we sang, make my heart believe. It's because you and I, it's easy to jump up and sing, right? Those words, we hear those things, we say it's true. And then that kind of like that, what does the world have to offer? And we kind of know in our heads and our minds, okay, yeah, Jesus is better. And then reality hits. And sometimes our lives, well, okay, oftentimes, <laughs> our lives are not exactly consistent with what we know to be true. Lord, help my heart to believe. My desire this morning, as we proclaim who Jesus is, we lift his name up, as we remember, yeah, Jesus is better, that is that each one of us would, uh, our lives, see our lives, maybe move a little bit closer to how we live, closer to what we really say is true. Um, What is interesting is that I'm going to start off in Philippians chapter 3, uh, the main text is going to be in chapter 1, but I want to do chapter 3 because we get a glimpse of Paul's background. Uh, almost in essence, had he written this song and he said, yeah, this, 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 but Jesus is better, this is kind of what his song would look like. So if you do a Bible, you grab it and open it to Philippians chapter 3. What is fascinating is that he's, uh, Paul does this really kind of almost accounting thing. Okay. And he lays out kind of this profit and loss. Do we have any accountants here? I know we have at least one. Some people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I actually, I thought about describing it with, you know, credits and debits and, and I'm so confused which side they go on. So I'm, I've scrapped that profit and loss. We all can do that, right? Okay. Paul is going to give us Essentially, what is to my profit? In other words, when I pursue satisfaction in life, when I'm looking and I, you know, effort, work towards those things that I naturally do to try to bring satisfaction, fulfill my life, this is my list. And in essence, what Paul says is that what I'm really after and have been after my entire life is personal righteousness before God and before others. And so I have to do this, Paul says. I have to remember what I used to put my faith and hope in and then say Jesus is better. That's what he's doing. Listen to this. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 11. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
confidence in my own personal righteousness. And he's about to give us his resume, which is pretty significant. He says this, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. It's a pretty good list in terms of his criteria. Absolutely. As to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, meaning that if anybody would stand opposed to what I believe was the true, the worship of the true God, I was going to stand opposed to that. And as to righteousness on the law, blameless. He lays out this extensive resume that probably none of us could really match. And then he does, but Jesus is better. Listen to how he says it. Verse 7. But whatever gain I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then he goes on that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If we want to understand what motivates Paul, it is this conviction that what I have pursued in life to bring hope, to bring satisfaction, that list needs to move from the profit to the loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Jesus is better. That's where he's coming from. To understand the book of Philippians, to understand chapter 1, we've got to grab a hold of that. That reality, that conviction, you name anything that this world has to offer, Jesus is better. So, let's get rid of the profit and loss of Paul's. Now you fill yours in. What have you pursued? What have you hoped in? What do you still kind of wrestle with wanting that to bring it? I'm here to remind you, Jesus is better. Right? Right? Yeah, yeah. I knew she said yes. <laughs> so with that in mind, let's turn to chapter 1. Chapter 1, I'm going to go through verses 12 through 26. There's really kind of four sections. They're called a little bit, they're small sections. The first two really is a description that Paul has. What's going on in my life? And I'm going to share my, my perspective on that, of what's going on. Those are the first two sections. Then we get to the third section, and basically that third section explains it all. Basically, it says that because, Paul's saying, because I am convinced that Jesus is better than all, than better than anything else, I'm consumed with making much of him. I'm consumed with making much of him. And then we'll get to the fourth section, which is kind of going to wrap things up. So here we go. Chapter 1, verse 12, here's the first situation that Paul is describing in his perspective. 
which is, again, driven by this idea that I'm consumed with making much of Jesus. He says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So what he's alluding to here is that uh, the book of Philippians, this this letter, was written, it's one of what's called the um, prison epistles. Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem. He had uh, then been taken to Caesarea where he stood before Agrippa and Festus. He appeals to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen, so he can do that. And so because of that, he's going to stand trial before Caesar. So he takes this incredible journey through the Mediterranean Sea. That's quite a story. Ends up in Rome where he's in prison for probably say he's probably two years. He's under house arrest. And of course, the apostle sent one, Paul. He's stuck in house arrest. And so he explains, I want to let you know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial regard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Second situation he finds himself in. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only then, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And then he moves into that third section, which I described as we begin to see essentially that he is consumed with making much of Jesus. And so he says it this way, at the end of verse 18 and on. He says, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And then we come to verse 21, and I just just want to share this with you. For me, um, growing up, I, I, I was not necessarily instructed, not part of a church, and so my journey has a lot to do with kind of wandering on my own. And then I went to this camp when I was 15, and really began to understand more and more about what it means to follow Christ. And my eyes were just open and, and been, began to be discipled. And there were these people there and they said, you know, if you really want to get to know Jesus better, what you do is you read his word and you pray every day. I went, okay, sounds good. I'll do that. And so very early on in my life, the book of Philippians became one of my favorite books. In this verse, this next verse, I don't know if anything else in Scripture, at least for me personally, more captures the essence of what it means to be a follower of Christ than this. Listen. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
He goes on and says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, and here it is, and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He lays this thing out. To live as Christ and to die as gain. Death means that I'm ushered into the presence of the Lord and I will now have a relationship with him unimpeded by what this world gets in the way. But if not, if I'm to remain here, I've got work to do. And that work is all about Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is verse 14, he makes this statement, he says, For the love of Christ controls me. In other translations says, compels me. That word essentially means surrounds me, envelops me. It it permeates my entire being. Think about this way. This is a way I can illustrate it for you. Imagine a very large beaker of water right here. Okay? You can see right through it. It's a a clear glass. If I were to take a a glass of red food coloring. You can almost picture it, can't you? Being dumped in. It kind of hits. It kind of sinks. And all it takes is a little bit of stirring. And all of a sudden, the whole beaker's filled with that same color, isn't it? That's what Paul says. That's what it's like for him to follow Christ. It has permeated every fiber of his being. Such that life is about Christ. Death is about Christ. Every moment is about Christ. Every situation is about Christ. Every time I get to, I'm going to make much of Jesus. Verse 20. He says, you know what? This is what I anticipate. Either way, life or death. You know, his, his life is being held in balance. Caesar's going to go say yay or nay. He says, I'm I'm okay with either one. Because he says this in verse 20. But that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. You don't have to actually be a Greek scholar to figure out what that word honored is really all about. The first four Greek letters spell out, and everyone will recognize this, mega. That's where making much of Jesus comes from. Making Jesus look really good, really big. That's what he says. That's my hope and my desire. And so that, that changes the way he views everything in life. All those circumstances he goes through, all the relationships he has, every moment he wakes. Here's the first situation. Verses 12. Sorry, let's look at verse 12. Sorry, as I mentioned earlier, he is actually in, he's in, uh, we're good. He's in prison. He's, he's actually in, under house arrest, right? And so it'd be very easy for the Philippians to be discouraged. It'd be very easy and natural for Paul to be discouraged, right? You know, I don't know if you're like me. I, I am one of those in my, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of one of those up and down guys, you know, okay? So, Good circumstances, I'm on top of the world. Not so good, man, life stinks. 
Okay, I just kind of have this little, little roller coaster thing. Not, not, I'm not advocating that. Okay, but sometimes circumstances dictate how we feel, right? And it's oftentimes because we can only see from our little perspective what's going on. Um, any couples here have kind of cute little names for one another, little nicknames, you know, Snookums or something like that, honey or whatever. The other day. My wife and I are up at a cabin that we're working on, and um, there, it's a long story, but I feel a little pressure to get the things done, okay? And not always do things go well. And in one of these days, things are not going well, and I probably was not as kind in my words to my wife as I needed to be. And then it occurred to me why we have certain nicknames for each other. And so I even told her that. I said, I understand now why we call each other what we call each other. I call her babe because she is. She calls me sweetie because she hopes someday I will be, okay? Um, but you know, circumstances are sometimes hard to see what God is up to. But see, Paul says, because I'm consumed with Jesus, because I'm consumed with Jesus, even negative circumstances are an opportunity to make much of him. Paul tells us exactly why he knows this to be true. Paul, the apostle, the sent one, who has a desire to go and visit churches, who has a desire to go to Spain to continue to spread the gospel, is stuck under house arrest. And he says, no, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He says that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest and all to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. You know what? I want to make much of Jesus in this situation. I'm not going to make little of Jesus by saying, I don't get it, God. You don't, you don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's happening here. But he says, you know what? God's got reasons for this, and I'm going to trust in that. And he knows why. Imagine this for a second. It's speculative, I granted. But I almost got to believe that God's purpose in, in having him under house arrest and that for two years, these guards are cycling through, who knows how often, daily, weekly, once a month. Who do you got? Who you assigned this week? I got Paul again. He's going to talk about Jesus again. Can you imagine one of them coming to Christ? And then asking that guy, and maybe his family. So, what do you think about Paul being in prison? Best thing ever happened to me. Every negative situation might be an opportunity for you to make the most of Jesus, to make much of him. We never know why. Second reason was here. It says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He says, in essence, I don't have the opportunities I once had. But because I'm in here now, others are. It has served to advance the gospel. Go, God. Second situation which probably comes out of the first because he mentions those people who are now confident that probably were not so confident. He says in verse 15, this is probably that same group, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in, in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. It's a little bit vague what's going on here. Not really certain about the situation here, but clearly there's individuals who are, well, they're making it difficult for Paul to be in prison in some way. Maybe they're jealous of the, the success or the audience that Paul was getting, and now he doesn't have it, so they get to have it now. Who knows? But when you ask Paul, so does that get under your skin? Not the least bit. Not the least bit. Because Christ is being proclaimed. I'm going to rejoice in that. I'm going to rejoice in that. Which then leads to what I'm going to describe kind of in conclusion, this last section. In essence, it's really this. It's not just negative relationships or negative circumstances. It's really every single new day that you have is an opportunity for you to make much of Jesus. And this is what he says, starting in verse 24. Paul is wondering about whether he's going to live or die. Caesar goes up or down. I've evaluated which is, they're both really good. It's okay. And I'm okay with it. I believe God's going to be honored no matter what happens. But you know what? He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Listen to this. In verse 24, he makes a statement, it is more necessary. When you see that phrase, particularly in the New Testament, what it's telling you is this. It's saying, according to God's plan. According to God's design, by God's purpose, this is what's happened. He is convinced, and by extension, because I think we know it's true, it's true of you and me as well, that if we are to remain on this planet one more day, it's not just for us. It's for also how you can make much of Jesus before others. Um, Paul has a very unique relationship with the church at Philippi. If you, if you do have a Bible, you can scan quickly. You'll see verse 5. He talks about because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, you've been a partner in the gospel with us with, and with me. He says in verse 19, which we've already read, I know that, you're, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I know you're praying for me. You're partnering with me in prayer. He talks, makes this illusion about them suffering alongside him in verses 29 and 30. If we jump to chapter 4, it talks about, you know, the reality is that you, you, this church of yours, you are the ones who really helped me financially. I received gifts when I had great needs. He says, I love this community that you have and I have with you. I'm going to do a little commercial, a little sidebar commercial. 
because I think this passage really illustrates what we consider in regroups, the three pillars that we're after, that we think is strong and needs to be a part of, of the vision of Redemption Church. Obviously, Christ, right? Making much of Christ. That's number one. Right? It's right there. But also, there's a sense of doing this together, encouraging one another. He presses on. He says, so, you know, so I'm to remain and continue with all for your progress and joy. You have helped me. I've helped you. We're partnering together. Let's do this together. And so we call that community. And, of course, he's already alluded to the fact of advancing the gospel, which that pillar we call commission. And so that's why in our regroups we believe we need to have all three of those elements, Christ and community and commission. So a week ago, Saturday, uh, we had a leaders meeting with our regroup. And I asked this question. I had people, all the leaders kind of moved to three different areas of, of the room. I said, if you feel the strongest that you can lead in the area of Christ, that's kind of where your strength is, okay? Go stand there. If you feel like I'm strongest in leading the area of community, to go to that area. I'm strongest in the, in the area of leading people in commission. Go to this spot. So I'm going to ask you, just, just curious what you guys think. Almost half, I think maybe even a little beyond half, went to one of those three areas of our regroup leaders. How many think more than half of them went to the Christ area? Okay. More than half or half or roughly or so went to the community area. About commission. And about half you didn't even vote. Okay. <laughs> it was community. Which essentially kind of tells us, I mean, that's, that's clearly one of the strengths of redemption. You know, on Sunday mornings, we do a lot based upon Christ. There's limitations which you can have on the other two. Which means that our, re, our regroups are probably the strongest in the area of community. Which means that we need to work on commission. Hence, so we are kind of be, when we're launching, we're going to start this pattern, this rhythm throughout the month where first Sunday of the month, Christ, and the meetings have gone there, Christ, second on community, third, Christ, fourth, commission. So that's what it's going to look like, again, because we see the value of all three of those. Okay, commercial's over. Okay, back here. So... But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress in joining the faith. My assumption is that every single one of us will wake up tomorrow morning alive. Everybody up for that? Okay. Which means what Paul's telling us is this. You may not know why. Or who exactly. But you're here to make much of Jesus. And there might be a person that God has in store for you. That you that's the reason why you woke up. I watched that happen specifically yesterday. Now, of course, when you're getting ready to speak, you have this passage in your mind. And so you're really conscious, you know, of something's going on. But I watched this yesterday. My wife and I mentioned we're working on a cabin. We're beginning to, to spend time, uh, our next-door neighbors of this cabin, 
Uh, it's, it's Henry and Becky. And throughout our time up there yesterday working on it, we probably had five or six different conversations with them. They were outside, we were outside. Elk are running by, cars are stopping, people are taking pictures like crazy. So, so we're out there talking with them. And then in the, later in the, um, in the afternoon, we kind of have our final conversation. And we're kind of standing in front of their, their cabin. My wife turns towards Henry and says, Hey, so how is it going with the cancer treatment? We understood you were doing something along those lines, right? That was happening. How are you doing? Which led to a conversation. Um, my wife had an opportunity to talk about her dad, who is going through cancer treatment right now. And then her mom, who passed away about a year and a half ago. And um, you know, she's sharing about God's grace, his provision, his care, the hope they both have in him. And Henry then tells us, we didn't know whether he was a follower of Christ or not. He tells us about going through the low point, in essence, talking about what that did for him in terms of him being close to the Lord. And my wife's got tears, and Henry expressed the fact that he was a little bit choked up himself. I'm standing there, and I look at my watch. Thinking, I wonder if we're going to get back to work. And then, of course, there's a check in my spirit. Two people making much of Jesus. That is far better than anything this world has to offer. Amen? Let's pray.